uh, heart and mind just now? Where is your heart? Where is your mind just now? I do not mean uh, where is your heart, where is your mind at this time of year? I do not mean where is your heart, where is your mind at this point in your life? I mean right now. Where is your heart and where is your mind? You know, when, when you realized, okay, this is going to be the point where he begins to, to preach, this is the start of the sermon, what was it you were thinking? Um, you just realized, oh, my mind was elsewhere. So, is that what was happening? Or were you thinking, excellent, it's the sermon. Uh, I can kind of sit back and chill out for a few moments now and relax. Or were you thinking, excellent, it's the sermon. I've been waiting all week to hear from my God in his Words. What were you thinking? Where is your heart? Where is your mind just now? Well, this morning in Scripture, we're going to be looking at exactly that idea. Because here, in Mark chapter 4, what happens is that Jesus shows us, he shows us a number of different ways in which people actually listen to preaching. That's what we've got. A number of ways in which people respond to the preaching of the gospel. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But do you know what? Before we get into that, there's something else we need to deal with, friends. Because what we're doing this morning is actually coming into a new section of Mark's gospel. I wonder if you noticed that, even in the reading. Like you see what's been happening. So far in this sermon series, what have we been doing? We've been looking at Jesus early ministry, Capernaum and the surrounding area. But here what happens now? Like this next section, what Mark begins to do is actually show examples. Examples of how Jesus taught. So how was that? Like how, how, how was it? How did Jesus teach? Well, hopefully you saw what was going on in this portion of Scripture that Adrian uh, read so well earlier on. Did you see what was happening in the section of Scripture? What have you got there? You've got a parable. It's a parable, isn't it? But what else happens in that section of Scripture? You've got the parable, and then afterwards, what happens? There's an explanation of the parable, isn't there? But I wonder, did you notice what's, <laughs> what's that smack bang in the middle of those two things? Did you see it? In between the parable... And the explanation of the parable, it's almost like the disciples say, Jesus, Jesus, we've got a question for you. Why are you teaching like that? Like, Jesus, why on earth are you using stories? Why are you teaching in, in parables? And I don't know about you this morning. Do you know what? I think that's not such a bad question, is it? Like, why is it that our Lord used stories? Like, why did he, why did he, what, parables, why did he use stories like that? I mean, come on, we know what parables are, don't we? Even the boys and the girls at the back. Like, if I was to ask you, I won't, so you don't have to shout out. But if I did ask you what a parable was, I'm pretty sure even the boys and girls would know what it was. What's a parable? It's a, what would you say, an earthly story that speaks of a heavenly truth? And I'm pretty sure, look at us, if we got our heads together this morning, I'm pretty sure we could come up with a fairly exhaustive list of the parables that Jesus taught, right? We know these things! But why does Jesus 
Use them. I mean, why does Jesus speak in parable? Why does he walk here to Mark 4 just speak in the most plain language? You know, just why isn't it just really straightforward, really simple? Why is it kind of mysterious or enigmatic stories? There's loads of answers to that question. Let me give you a couple. One, Jesus uses part of stories like this. Do you know what? To conceal spiritual truth. To almost hide spiritual truth. Do you see what I mean by that? Like, think about the situation. What's going on here? Like, where is Jesus? He's sitting in a boat, isn't he? And he's at the shore, sitting in a boat. And do you see who's in front of him? Like, there's loads of people. Let's see, hundreds of people on that beach. Now, what do you and I know by this stage of Mark's Gospel? We know that in amongst that crowd are lots of people who are opposed to Jesus, don't we? Do you remember that? A couple of weeks ago, who was it? His family were opposed to him. Do you remember that? And then the religious leaders. So there's people who are opposing him. So do you see the problem? If Jesus speaks just using plain language here, what's going to happen? That opposition's going to grow, isn't it? It's going to intensify. Maybe it will even jeopardize Jesus' earthly ministry. So what does he do? He speaks to that crowd in a veiled way, doesn't he? He uses parables. He uses language that requires a relationship with him for understanding. Do you get it? He conceals spiritual truth. But there's another thing that Jesus is doing here with parables. He is also, and it's glorious, he is also revealing spiritual truth by using parables. Because what we said, there's people on that beach that are opposed to Jesus, but aren't there other people? Like, aren't there the disciples there and followers? <laughs> aren't there people there who are just desperate to hear from Jesus? And what does our Lord want from those people? He wants them to take his word seriously. So what does he do? He doesn't speak in plain language. He speaks in language that requires interpretation. Do you see what it means? What does Jesus want from us? What does he want from you? What does he want from his people? He wants us to wrestle with spiritual truth. To really think about it. You know, to ponder, consider the, the precious things of the gospel. So what does he do? Does he speak in plain language? He speaks in parables. And so, I'll just reiterate Jesus' first word that he says from that boat. What does he say to all those people? He says, friends, listen. Listen. Will we do that today? Will we consider? Will we think about? Will we listen to this parable? Will we listen to the words of our God? Okay, friends, if you haven't done so, I would invite you to turn back to Mark's Gospel, to have Mark's Gospel open. I don't know if we gave you a page number early on. I think it is page 1005. And let's consider this, this morning, this first parable that Jesus tells here. Where Jesus, what did we say? We said that Jesus shows a number of ways in which people respond or listen to the preaching of God's word, all right? So a number of ways in which people respond to preaching. Let's go for the first one. When the word of God is preached, some are hard-hearted. Some are hard-hearted. It's, you know, what are we dealing with here? The, the, the parable of the sower, this is a, a famous 
parable, is it not? I'm pretty sure if you were brought up in the church, you know this parable inside out. Now, it is, what's the obvious thing? It is a, a, an agricultural parable, isn't it? Do you see what you've got here? You've got a man, you've got a farmer, and he is sowing some seed. That's what we're dealing with. Now, I love uh, what one commentator said about this portion of scripture. Uh, he said that perhaps at this point in the boat, Jesus is sitting there on the boat teaching, perhaps he looks up and he looks up to the hills above the Sea of Galilee and perhaps he sees a man, you know, he sees a farmer out in his field hard at work. He actually sees him and he uses this as an illustration for the point that he's making. I'm sure you'd agree that's a nice idea, a nice idea. Do you know what? Whether there was an actual bloke in a field somewhere, it's kind of immaterial. What is important is we get the big picture here. Do you see what that is? There is seed sown on various types of soil. The various types of soil reflect the various responses, the various hearts of man. So the first thing I want you to look at is where that first seed falls. So just look at verse 4. Do you see where it falls? What have we got? It's on there. Do you see it in verse 4? The seed falls on the path. What does that mean? Well, actually, surely you know what it means. In Palestinian fields, there was really always a path that ran alongside where the farmers were working. Now, you can, if you use your uh, imagination this morning, you can imagine what that path looked like, can you not? Can you picture it? You know, the earth would have been hardened at that place, wouldn't it? Like all the soil there would really have been compacted together. You know, the laborers are walking back and forward, aren't they? Back and forward all day long. So do you see what Jesus is saying? Friends, he's saying that sometimes the word is sown in preaching. What happens? It does not penetrate people's lives. Isn't that it? That just as this farmer, he, he sows the seed, and what would happen on the path? It would just, it would fall, and it would hit that path, and it would just land there, wouldn't it? It would just sit there. So Jesus is saying that in the life of the church, the good news of the gospel, it can go out week in and week out, can it? The preaching, of the good news of Christ, week in, week out. And what happens? Do you know what happens? Not all that much. It would appear. There does not seem to be any positive effect on some people. Some people remain hardened to it. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, do you find that rather depressing? Do you? Let me tell you, it just gets worse than that. I don't know if you've been uh, out in Oxford Street or Regent Street over the last number of days or not. I know some of you have indeed been there. And I'm sure with uh, Christmas around the corner that some of us will have to brave the, the jungle out there. If you've been out to Oxford Street or Regent Street... I'm sure you'll have noticed that a lot of the food shops, they seem to be doing this a lot more often, they are sending some of their staff to stand outside with sort of free samples of stuff, of what's available inside, you know, these samples, these testers for people. You've seen that, right? I was walking along, I think it was Regent Street a couple of weeks ago, I've never seen anything like it. I walked past Hotel Chocolate. 
Uh, yes, I can see where everyone's going after the service now. But I'm walking past Hotel Chocolate, and there's a guy outside with his, his samples, you know. Never seen anything like it. What he does, the guy, he goes in his bag full of all these free chocolates, and he puts the chocolates on his platter, and then he just takes a step forward on the pavement, and it's suddenly like, poof, you know, hundreds, millions of shoppers kind of descend on this guy, and stealing all his free chocolates. Now, see that image? Wait a minute. Is that not the image you've got in front of you in your Bibles? Is it not? Look at this. Like, Jesus doesn't say here that the seed sown on the path, he doesn't say that it just sits there. What does he say? Do you see it? He says that birds sweep in and they steal the seed away. And wait a minute, who is it that he later says, when he's explaining this, who does he say these birds represent? Look at verse 15. It's, friends, this is Satan. He says, Satan sweeps in and he snatches the word. Now, here's what I want to say. Is that not, do you not find that disturbing? Even a little bit? I mean, do you see what we're confronted with there? We're confronted with the, the colossal spiritual conflict that goes on every single time the word of God is preached. And do you see what that means for right now and here? Do you see what it means? It means that right at this moment, the accomplices of Satan are here. They are with us. They are in here. They prowl around, don't they? What are they seeking to do? They are seeking to sweep in and steal the precious word of God from any who are unresponsive. Isn't that disturbing? As a Christian, do you not find that critical? Let me ask you this. Does it not drive you even now to pray? Doesn't it? Doesn't it drive you to ask God to to counteract those wicked intentions? Doesn't it? Do you not feel your heart move? Do you not want to ask God to so work by the Holy Spirit that even, can you imagine even now, that he would... Make hardened hearts, these hardened hearts, responsive to that good news. Will you not pray even now that he might, by his grace, soften people's hearts? Because what have we got here? The word is sown. Sometimes it falls in hard places. The word is preached. And people remain hard-hearted. Second thing we see here is that when the word of God is preached, some are hollow-hearted. So some are hard-hearted, but some are hollow-hearted. I've said before uh, from the pulpit that despite being a Tuchner, and uh, despite being from the very highlands of Scotland, that uh, I know very, very little about farming very little about agriculture at all. There is, I think, maybe just one thing that I know about farming. And that is, if you're a farmer in the north of Scotland, and you want to sow seed, what's the first thing that you would do? Well, you would get your wellies on, and then you would, surely, you want to sow seed, what do you do? You'd get into your tractor, 
wouldn't you? You'd get into your big, massy Ferguson tractor, your John Deere tractor, and you'd go out in the field, and you would plough the field, and then you would sow the seed. Right? That's what you would do, okay? You would go out, plough the field, sow the seed. Now, get this. In the Middle East, that order is reversed. So if you're a Palestinian farmer, and you're wanting to sow the seed, the first thing you would do is you would sow the seed. And then you would plough the field. You would sow the seed and then plough the field. Now, do you see that that's important for the parable? Because we get now to see that sown amongst rocky ground. Do you see what it means? It means this farmer in the story, he doesn't see a, a patch of stones and rocks and sort of throws some seed in there. What's he doing? He is sowing seed onto ground that just appears like normal soil and only later will be revealed to be full of rocks. Fine, you see. So what? What's the spiritual message here? Well, friends, understand this. Here, Jesus is speaking about people with only a passing interest in the gospel. Did you hear that? Jesus here is speaking about people only with a passing interest in the gospel. That's it, isn't it? Like just this, he says here, seed sown among rocks. What does he say happens? It sort of springs up really quickly, doesn't it? And then what happens? It sort of just fades away. What's Jesus saying? He's saying in the life of the church, there are people that show this sort of initial interest, don't they? They show an an initial joy or excitement about the church and about the things of the gospel, only for that interest to fade and fall away. And uh, I say to you this morning, if you've been around churches for a long time, isn't that something that you know to be true? Like, don't you know people like this? Like, I, I know that we're sort of gathered and there's some people, you know, maybe a few years ago have been at other churches. Maybe you're even visiting LCPC this morning. Think about your old church. Don't you know people who have come into that church and shown a real, I don't know, excitement about things, you know? They, they come into the church and they're buzzing. You know, they like the preaching. They like the atmosphere in the church, they like the sense of community in the church, and they are really enthused by this, and then they're not what we would call in Scotland, not oncers or twicers, but they are thricers they're at the morning, they're at the evening, and they're even at the prayer meeting wow, they're even serving on the rotas, you know, they're so excited and then what happens you know, suddenly, out of nowhere they vanish you know, their attendance, it just drops off and, and they go. Don't, don't you know people like that? Now, as a Christian, can I ask you, do you find that perplexing? Do you? Is that something that confuses you? You know, you see people like that and you see them sort of drift away. And, and, and are you asking, why does that happen? Do you see in Mark chapter 4 that you're given an answer to that? Look at this with me. What does Jesus say here? He says that for the sun rises 
And what happens? The sun rises and it withers those people. So do you see it? Why do people drift away? Why did they, did they, did they vanish? What's he saying? He's saying Jesus saying they're put off by trials. And specifically verse 17, what sort of trials are they? Trials because of the word. Friends, do you see this? Like, do you see how absolutely massive this is for the life of the church? We are seeing people drift away. And why does that happen? It it happens because of opposition they face. And isn't that true? I mean, you see what happens to these people, don't you? They get interested in Jesus. They get interested in the, the gospel. And what happens? It gets noticed. And their friends look at them. And their friends start to tease them, start to ridicule these people. What are you going to church for? That's crazy talk. And their families start to notice these things. Weird. We don't do religion in our family. They criticize them. Do you see what happens to those poor people? They wither under the heat of that opposition. Friends, do you see once again what it is that we should do? What should the people do? We should pray. Doesn't it drive us to pray? I'll tell you that. I'll tell you this as, 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 as your pastor. One of the great encouragements of the recent months is the increased fervency that we've had in prayer. And what do we do tonight? What do we do every Sunday at 6pm? We get in that room, don't we? We gather, we squeeze sometimes into that room and we pray. Now who is it that we pray for on a Sunday night? We pray for the lost. We pray for those who need salvation. But look at this. Don't you see who, sh- who we should be adding to that list? We should be praying for those who are enthused. Like we should be praying for people who seem to be interested. We should actually pray for those who, who have professed faith in recent times. What do we pray? We pray that that interest isn't passing. It's not fleeting. It's not just a fad or a phase. We pray that it's real, you know? That it's a work of the Holy Spirit. What else do we pray? We pray that the Lord our God would strengthen these people. That those who have professed faith in recent times, that they would be made strong. That they would be able to withstand the heat of the sun of opposition. Lest these people, people we love, right? You know, these people profess faith recently, people we care about, lest they also wither away. So we see when the word is preached, some are hard, some are hollow. A third thing, friends, we see when the word of God is preached, some are also half-hearted. So you see where we are in the parable? We've seen seed sown on the path, and we've seen seed sown, it's not easy to say, seed Sown on the rocky ground. Now we come a seed sown amongst thorns. Um, friends, have you heard the name Jordan Seabright before? Jordan Seabright. Um, the guy who hit the headlines a couple of years ago. Uh, Jordan Seabright was a professional footballer. He's playing his trade in a pretty good standard of English football. He's made it. He's a professional footballer. Just approaching his prime, what does he do? He quits the game. Okay, at which point every young boy in the church and probably every grown man says, what are you doing? Quitting the game of football seems madness. 
But Seabright, when he was interviewed about this, he said that, that fundamentally that he had fallen in love with the game. You know, he, he said that what he realized over the course of, of a couple of years is that his love for other things, you know. In fact, he said specifically his love of cars, I think, that he realized that his love for that was greater than his love for football. And so because of that, what does he do? He jacks it in, you know, the, the peak of his powers, if you like. He quits the game and he goes and works off in the motor trade. Do you, do you see that that's what Jesus is talking about here? Like he, when he speaks about seeds sown amongst thorns, what is he saying? Isn't he speaking about people whose superficial love of the gospel over time is overshadowed by a love of something else, right? And do you see what that other thing is in verse 18? It's not easy to read or hear. He says the desire for material things. Or what have you got there? The desire for other things. That comes in. And it chokes these people and their interest in the spiritual. And look at us this morning. Where are we in the calendar? Smack bang and thought of December and the Christmas shopping extravaganza. And what does God do for us this morning? He brings to the room and to us a message about the perils of materialism. Sounds fairly apt, doesn't it? It seems rather appropriate for us. Here's the thing. What I want you to consider and notice here is the sheer and utter subtlety of this danger. Do you see the subtlety of materialism here? It is subtle, isn't it? Like, think about the previous seed. It was sown amongst rocky ground. Now, I wonder, did you notice how fast everything was there? Did you see it? Did you see what Jesus said? You sow the seed in amongst the rocky ground. What happens? Jesus says, immediately, bang, the plant springs up. It's really fast. Then the sun appears fast. Then the sun, again, immediately, it withers the plant. Do you see how fast it was? Everything's quick. It's abrupt. Is that the same here? With a seed amongst the thorns? Do you see how gradual it is here? Do you see it? It's over time when the seed is sown that the plant grows up. And then it's over time that the thorns grow up with it. And it's only until right at the end, at the very end, that those thorns eventually choke the plant. Do you see, friends, the point? Isn't that the way it is with materialism? It is such a subtle danger for the Christian. Isn't it? I mean, what does Jesus call it here? Deceptive? Isn't that true? Our desire for stuff, our desire for things, it's a slow burner, isn't it? Over years, it sort of gradually grows within us, and before long, what happens? Our interest in the gospel, it is replaced, and replaced by what? replaced by a desire for personal gain. So let me ask you this, friends. See this, the subtlety of materialism. Does it sound familiar to you this morning? Does it? Like, search your heart, search your soul. Is there a real weakness there for material things? Is there? What am I going to say? Same in point one, same in point two, same here. That should drive you to pray. 
And you can do that now. Like this very moment, you can ask the Lord your God, the sovereign creator God, to give you such a love of Jesus, such a concern for Jesus, that you see the material things for what they are. They will pale into utter insignificance compared to his honor, to his glory, his love, his majesty, and his grace. So we see hard hearts, hollow hearts, half hearts. I want to end, I want to bring this together, last thing, very briefly. Because friends, we also see this, that when the gospel is preached, there are holy hearts. Holy hearts. And friends, at last with us, at last, Jesus speaks about seed sown where? Do you see it? At last it lands on good soil. He tells us of the correct way, the only way to respond and listen to gospel preaching. I ask him, what is that? What's the, the best way, the only way? Surely it is the person who has had a work of the Holy Spirit done in their hearts. Isn't that it? Isn't this about being receptive because God has worked in us? Now, I've got a question. We'll come into land with this question. We'll cl- close things off here. If you take a step back from this parable, the parable of the sower, what is Jesus wanting here? Like, if you were asked, I was tempted to write this in the boys and girls worksheet. I don't think I did. But if you were asked what this parable was about, what would you say? Jesus on that boat in front of all those people, what is he wanting from them? Like, is he wanting people to be good at listening to sermons? <laughs> is, does he want, is, it, is the idea, right, you come here caffeined up, you know, with a notebook and a pen, and you sit boat upright, is that, is that the goal of this parable? Would you look at verse 20 to see the goal? Jesus says, it's the last thing here. When the word is sown in good soil, what happens? What's the goal? What does he want to see? It produces a crop. Do you see the message? What does Jesus want here? What does he want from us? He wants fruits from us, doesn't he? Isn't that it? He doesn't want people who are just good at listening and expert hearers. He wants people who embrace the preached word of God. He wants people who have that word take root in their hearts so that what happens? A harvest is produced in their lives. A harvest of righteousness, a harvest of holiness and patience and gentleness produced in their lives. And guess what I will say to you? It's the same point again. Shouldn't that desire of Jesus, shouldn't it lead us to pray? I mean, look at us. We we come now to the end of this year, 2015, just round the corner. Look at us though. As a congregation, do we not have so much to praise God for? Don't we? I mean, look at us. There's, there's new families here, aren't there? And there's new couples here, new individual single people here, new flatmates here. Isn't it wonderful? Can I ask you, if you're new here, can I ask, if you've been coming here for, for a long time, can I ask you, see, how are you approaching church? How are you approaching this today? Let me ask you this. Did you pray with the people you traveled here with today? Before you got here, as you left the house this morning, 
Did you come together? And did you pray? Did you beseech your God? Did you, if you came here by yourself, did you beg God to speak to you this morning? Did you? Do you see in Mark chapter 4 why we must do that? Do you see why it's important? We can become better soil. Isn't that true? You know, we can prepare ourselves on a Sunday morning for the sowing of God's word. We can do that. Should we not do that? Must we not do that? Friends, we've seen much here from Jesus this morning. What's he shown us? He's shown us four things, four ways that we can respond to gospel preaching. Guess what question I'll end with. Which of the four are you today? Are you hard-hearted to the preaching? Is that it? Like, see, this gospel message is the good news of salvation in Christ. Are you, is that, you dead to that? Are you hollow-hearted? See this interest you have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that just fleeting? Is it passing? Is that it? Are you half-hearted? You search your soul or material things more important to you. Or, come on, this morning in here, could it be said to you that you are holy-hearted? Can that be said to you? Did you come here and are you rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you praise God for what has been done for you? See, this time of year, Christmas, are you rejoicing that this message is true? The incarnation, it's true! Do you rejoice that Christ was born in Bethlehem? And do you rejoice and praise your God for the reason that he came? Why did he come? He came to save sinners. Does that bring joy to your heart? If so, I say to you, friend, continue to respond well to gospel preaching. Continue to respond well. Why? So that there might be produced in you and in your life fruit. A crop. A harvest of holiness. Holiness for the Lord. Let's pray.